You're listening to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. Our case this week is coming out of Oklahoma. It is another wild one. Let me tell you that. I want to give a huge shout out to my dear friend Amber, who sent me this case last week. She has been sending me all kinds of information on it. And every time I think that I can wrap up this episode and stop recording, something else comes up and it is just, it's wild. So thank you, Amber, for sending this in and for helping me get a lot of this information. I would not have known about this case if it wasn't for you. Really quick, I want to give my sources that I used for this episode, and they are kjrh.com, k4.com, newson6.com, nbcnews.com, The Pascal Show on YouTube, and News Nation on YouTube. All right. Let's dive in. Nestled in an area away from neighbors in city life, there was a house that, to the naked eye, would seem pretty normal if you were to drive by it. Surrounded by woods and trees, green grass, and farmland, it would appear to be a serene and peaceful place to be. The trees would sway in the open summer breeze, the flowers would bloom, and you would likely find the sound of farm animals coming from the neighboring homes across the fields. This house, however, was the last place anyone would want to be. While the outside may have said peaceful, inside lived the definition of a true monster. And this is the story of the Okmulgee County murders. Tiffany Guess was 13 years old. She and her two best friends, Ivy Weber, 14, and Brittany Brewer, 16, had planned to have a sleepover the weekend of April 29th, 2023. I imagine they were planning on watching movies, eating popcorn, gossiping, and doing each other's nails. At least that's what I would do at a sleepover at 13. Kids are a whole lot different now, though, but that's a different episode. Everything seemed to be going as planned for the girls. The trio's weekend had gone off without a hitch, as far as anyone knew. Ivy and Brittany's parents were excited for their girls, but they were also ready for them to come home the next day and hear all about the fun they'd had. It wouldn't take long, though, for the parents to realize that something was terribly wrong. Both Ivy and Brittany, who were extremely responsible and reliable, to call or text their parents, quit answering and responding to their calls and text messages. Their cell phone locations had also been turned off, and there was absolutely no sign as to where the girls could be. As the day went on on Sunday, 
the girls' parents began to grow more and more concerned about their daughters, and both families decided to call 911. An Amber Alert went out for the girls, which then turned into an endangered child alert. It wasn't long, though, after this alert went out that it was canceled as the police department searched the property where the girls had last been known to be. When investigators were searching the acreage, they happened upon what could only be described as a house of horrors. Since the missing child report had been made for Ivy and Brittany, the police decided that it was best to go and look for them at their last known location, which was at the home of Tiffany Guess. When the police got there and they began their search, the bodies of Ivy Weber and Brittany Brewer, along with five others, were found on the property. All had been killed by a gunshot to the head. Detectives immediately recognized Ivy and Brittany since they had just been reported missing the day before, but they weren't certain on who the others were. After doing some more investigating and identifying, they were able to confirm that the other bodies on the scene were those of Tiffany Guess, her brother, Michael Mayo, her sister, Riley Allen, her mother, Holly Guess McFadden, and stepfather, Jesse McFadden. It would soon be reported that Jesse McFadden had shot and killed his wife, three stepchildren, and the two friends that were there to stay the night. While police don't know exactly what happened, it is believed that McFadden shot Ivy, Brittany, and Riley in the head once, Tiffany and Michael in the head twice, and Holly in the head three times. He took their bodies outside and strewed them across the property, then turned the gun on himself. This was now a murder-suicide. Questions began to rise, and no one knew where to look or what to make of this. Here in the middle of nowhere were seven deceased bodies, two of which had just been reported missing the day prior. What had happened? What had caused this to conspire? Was it planned? Was it part of some sort of weird cult? Why did it have to happen? Why were Ivy and Brittany involved? Why? Just why? Upon further investigation, detectives soon learned that McFadden, the husband of Holly and the stepfather to Tiffany, Michael, and Riley, had a past. A past that supposedly he had tried to keep hidden. McFadden had been convicted of rape of a minor back in 2003. He was sentenced to 20 years, but ended up only serving less than 17, being released in early 2020. Now, while in prison, he had somehow gotten a contraband cell phone, and he was sending and receiving illicit photos 
of himself to and receiving illicit photos from a minor. Yet, he was still released early on good behavior. Now, this raises questions in itself, okay? One, how did he get a cell phone? I know that people smuggle things into prison all the time, but how did he get a cell phone? How did he get in touch with this minor? Was this the same minor that he was convicted of raping? Or was it someone new? We don't know. Third, I don't know what you consider good behavior, but I do not think that sending and receiving nudes, especially receiving nudes of a minor, and then sending those nudes of a minor to other people, that's not good behavior. At least not in my opinion. Also, if you commit a crime while you're in prison, aren't you supposed to get more time tacked onto your sentence? Not get released early? I understand that this was 2020 and COVID was going on, and I remember there being some concerns about prisons having major COVID outbreaks, and there was talk of releasing criminals who had, you know, less serious convictions. But um, I don't think that this was the right move, y'all. So... We know that McFadden had a record, okay? We know that he was convicted and had been sentenced and had served time. We know that he had gotten out early. And according to Oklahoma law, a prisoner only has to serve 85% of their time, of their sentence, and for McFadden, that was 17 out of his 20 years. But I still don't think that that was the right call to let him out. But that's beside the point. So there is just a ton of crap that has come to the surface while doing this investigation. And a lot of crap that has come to the surface that hasn't come from investigators. It has come from the families of Ivy and Brittany. So, I don't even know where to begin to start on this. It is a wild, wild mess of a case. And so you guys are just going to have to bear with me on it because it's really, really insane. All right. I'm going to break this down to you in segments of how I found out about this. 
and it's still so confusing and still so hard to wrap my head around, but I'm going to try my best to explain it as clearly and as seamlessly as possible. So the parents of Ivy and Brittany, God bless their souls, they wanted to go to the McFadden residence and check it out. They wanted to, I assume, look for their belongings, maybe their their bags that they carried with them, maybe get cell phones, just get the personal belongings. That's That's what I think I remember hearing. I could be wrong. They may have just wanted to go check it out and see if they could find any answers. For some reason or another, again, I'm not entirely sure, there was a news crew that went with the parents to the house. So it's been filmed. They have video evidence of it. Upon entering the house, they found what I can only refer to you as a Fifty Shades of Grey nightmare. Out and about, displayed for everyone to see, there were restraints and chains and toys. There were drugs on the coffee table in the living room. There was drug paraphernalia. There were edible chocolate marijuana gummies. Um, It was, I'm not, let me say this, I'm not shaming anyone. If you want to let your kink freak flag fly, go for it. But if you know that your daughter and your stepdaughter are going to have friends over, I don't think that you would want to leave, you know, your intimates out for everyone to see. According to I believe it was Ivy's dad. Ivy had gone over to their house many times over the last couple of years, and nothing was ever said about anything like this. Nothing was out of the ordinary. Nothing was strange. Nothing was weird. They had no idea that McFadden was even a sex offender. So for them to walk into this house and be greeted with chains and whips and sex toys and drugs and all that kind of stuff, that was shocking to say the least. Cell phones were found, laptops were found, but they were not found out in the open. They were found hidden away. And all of this stuff 
the the restraints, the toys, the drugs, the phones, the laptops, all of that had not been taken in as evidence. It had just been left there. Now, according to one of the girl's moms, she called the police and was like, hey, there's all this stuff here. Don't you want it for evidence? And she was told that the case was closed. It was a murder-suicide. There was nothing left to investigate. They had everything that they needed because it was one and done. But they didn't want to look at, maybe look for some DNA on this stuff. Maybe, you know, go through the phones and the laptops and try to get an idea of what was going on. They also found behind a dresser, taped down behind a dresser, another set of Velcro restraints. Apparently the ones that were out in the open were more chain-like, but these were Velcro and the parents really wanted to have this tested for DNA to make sure that their daughter's DNA wasn't on it, which I think is a totally reasonable request, but they didn't take that either. More and more has come to the surface. And this is where I feel like there is going to be a lot of pushback And I feel like the people of Henrietta and the people of Okmulgee County need to make their voices heard. Under the floorboards, they found a four-inch stack of Polaroid pictures of children. They found with this children's clothing, children's underwear, and they were covered in blood. McFadden was a sex offender. And they found children's pictures and not just innocent, happy, smiling kids' pictures. These were the kinds of pictures that you pray to God you never have to see yourself. They found these bloody children's clothes. They found binders of files that had to do with McFadden's incarceration and sentencing and everything and just a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's not all. They found 
I've heard different things, but they found multiple cell phones belonging to Holly McFadden. Now, Holly claimed that she didn't know anything about Jesse's past until recently. And that's even a little confusing because there's differing reports on how she found out. But one thing remains the same. McFadden hired an actress to pretend to be his victim for what he was sentenced for, the rape of a minor, and told, how did this actress tell Holly that it was a misunderstanding, that she wasn't a minor, she was really 19 at the time, not 16. And supposedly Holly believed that. Well, come to find out, Holly probably knew all along what kind of person Jesse McFadden was. So what information could have gotten out that would make people think that Holly knew about this the whole time? Well, the fact that McFadden's cellmate, whose name I do not know, reported that he and Holly were pen pals while he was in prison, making it seem that Holly probably knew that McFadden was his cellmate and knew what he was in for and knew the kind of person that he was. Now, according to this guy, he and Holly have been pen pals I guess some sort of prison pen pal program. Say that 10 times fast. And they had developed a pretty intimate relationship. They had told each other they loved each other and seemed to be hitting it off very well. Now, I don't know the cellmate's crime. Like I said, I don't even know his name. So I don't know what his details were, but he did say that he was pretty scared of McFadden and that he slept with one eye open in their cell. Now, McFadden got out of prison earlier than the cellmate, and whenever the cellmate was released, he decided to look up Holly because he hadn't heard from her in a while. And so he looked her up and saw that her name had changed. Somehow we got her phone number and they were texting. And he was like, you know, so I see that your last name has changed. And she was like, oh, yeah, I married Jesse. And he was kind of shocked. He said that he had called the police department of the county where they got their marriage license. I don't know if that's Old Mulgee County or if that was elsewhere, but he had called and said, hey, 
I just want you to know that this person is a dangerous person. He's a sex offender. He raped a child and he's, you know, living in a house with a mom and three kids. And apparently in Oklahoma, if you're from Oklahoma and you know if this is true or not, please let me know. But he was told that sex offenders can live in the same household with children so long as they promise not to hurt them. Aw, just a little promise, that's all it takes. People, I swear. This is literally giving me a headache. Oh my gosh. So the cellmate was kind of confused by that, but he was also told that, you know, all the sex offenders are on the national registry. And if he was worried about it, you know, he could look and see and make sure he was on there. So that's what he did. Lo and behold, McFadden wasn't on the registry and he should have been. Part of his release was that he would stay on the registry and he had to meet with his parole officer, I believe every 90 days. And from what I've heard, none of that happened ever. So now we have to question, now we have to wonder, was Holly also in on this? Was she part of the grand scheme of things? Was she also a predator? Questions have been asked. Was McFadden using Tiffany, the youngest of the three kids in the household, to lure in other victims? Was McFadden grooming Tiffany's friends, Ivy and Brittany, so that whenever he did decide to act on his impulses, they wouldn't be so scared by it. And the, what I think is one of the biggest kickers of all McFadden was scheduled to go to court for the charges of the pictures that he had sent and received while in prison. The date that he was supposed to go to court was May 1st of 2023. Guess what day they found the bodies? May 1st, 2023. Between McFadden's demented past, Holly's suspected involvement, five innocent children killed, it still leaves so many questions. And the more that 
they find the more questions there are and the less answers people are getting. The evidence not being taken from the house. The fact, the simple fact that McFadden was even out of prison. The fact that they found the photos and the bloody clothes, the multiple cell phones, all of that. There are even different reports on where the bodies were found on the property. Some people say that they were all found outside, that three of the bodies were about 150 yards from each other, while the others were found 450 to 550 yards away from the first three. Some reports have said that it looked like it was staged, looked like the bodies had been killed maybe somewhere else and then laid where they were found. Some suspect that McFadden just took them outside and told them to run and shot them as they were running. I personally find that last one a little hard to believe because of the number of bullets that were used you know, three of the victims each had one gunshot wound. Three of the victims, no, two of the victims had two gunshot wounds. Holly had three, and then he shot himself. So if they were, you know, if it was like live bait where he was shooting as they were running, I think that they would have, would have had more injuries other than just the shots to the head. There hasn't been any reports to indicate if complete, full complete autopsies were done on any of the deceased. If I were Ivy and Brittany's parents, I would want a full-fledged examination done. I would want talk screens. I would want pelvic exams. I would want everything done because I would want to know if that monster... I want to say worse, did something worse than killing, but I don't know if that's the appropriate way to say that. But how much torture did those innocent girls go through? What about Tiffany and Michael and Riley? What did they go through on a daily basis because of their stepfather? Holly's mother reported that they weren't allowed to see their grandkids. And if they were, then Holly and McFadden both had to be there with them. 
and if for some reason they weren't, then they had to keep their locations turned on at all times. She also said that she had raised those kids, that she had had them for more of their life than Holly did. Tiffany's biological father said that while Tiffany was his only biological father, Riley and Michael were his kids too, and he had been in the process of trying to adopt them for the last 10 years. Now, I've heard differing things on this as well, that he wasn't trying to adopt them. He was trying to get custody of all three of the kids, that he wanted them to come and live with him. I personally have not heard him say that. I heard that he was trying to adopt Michael and Riley. But again, there's so much stuff that is still being talked, that's still being discovered, and that there's differing reports, and that one person can say one thing, and then another person can say another thing, and trying to figure out the ins and outs and ups and downs, it makes your head spin. It really, truly does. The truly, truly unfortunate part about this whole thing is that because McFadden took his own life and took Holly's life, we will never know the truth. If he or they hurt other children in the home, we're probably never going to know about it because the police haven't tested things. They haven't looked for evidence. They've said to Ivy and Brittany's parents that if you want something, take it. If not, throw it away. And that's appalling. I usually am always a supporter of police officers. Not that I think that every single police officer is good, because we've seen bad officers. We've seen bad cops. But as a whole, I don't think that they're all bad. However, the officers and detectives that have handled this case have absolutely, without a doubt, dropped the ball. They should be bending over backwards, scraping every inch of that property, looking for some kind of evidence, some kind of DNA, trying to figure out what happened in that home. But because McFadden took his own life after the murder of these other people, they're just going to close the case. I don't know exactly the right way to go about handling something like that, but I'm tempted to write a letter to the office that has been handling this 
and let them know how disgusting it is, the way that they have handled this. It may be too late now. The crime scene has probably been contaminated. If there was any DNA evidence, it's probably not there now. And if it is there, it's probably not going to be usable for any kind of testing. It's just so utterly disgusting that there are people like McFadden in the world who pry, prey on innocent children. It is just appalling that a mother could potentially and knowingly and willingly put her minor children at risk knowing the type of person that McFadden was. I've tried giving her the benefit of the doubt, thinking maybe she was also a victim. Maybe she was being abused. Maybe she was trying to find a way out. But after some of this stuff has come to the surface, like the multiple cell phones, those were her cell phones. What was on those cell phones? It's just really hard for me to think that she didn't know. And she was trying to keep her children safe. I think that she knew that McFadden was a sex offender, a child predator. I think that she either didn't care or had issues of her own because there are women who are also sex offenders but i i i think that she knew and i think that she purposefully put her children at risk and put them in danger Ivy Weber's parents and Brittany Brewer's parents did not know that McFadden was a predator. They'd met him. They'd talked to him. They'd trusted him and Holly with their girls. He never let on, never had any indication that he was so evil. Ivy's parents said in an interview that if they would have known about McFadden, their daughter would never have been on that property ever. And it just breaks my heart to know that they, they trusted someone. They put their daughter in the care of someone that they thought that they could count on to keep her safe, keep her alive, and send her home. And the McFaddens did the exact opposite of that.
this case is another one that it just blows my mind. I cannot believe how atrocious these facts are. And it is still very much a developing case. More and more and more just keeps coming to the surface. Will we ever have the answers? I don't know. There's no rhyme or no reason as to why McFadden took the lives of Tiffany Guest, Ivy Weber, Brittany Brewer, Michael Mayo, and Riley Allen. I don't even know if we'll know why he took the life of Holly or himself. I speculate that he was trying to do something to Tiffany's friends. And maybe Tiffany and Michael and Riley all tried to stop it. And maybe things went a little too far. Maybe McFadden and Holly thought that the only way out was through death. Maybe he shot her and then shot himself. But all we can do is speculate. That's all that we can do. It may be classified as solved, but there's still too many questions for me. There's still too many unanswered questions. And knowing that we won't ever get those answers, it sucks. It just straight up sucks. And that is the case of the Okmulgee County murders. I told y'all it was going to be kind of crazy. But I have a new case for next week. This one's going to be a little bit different, but hopefully you guys will find it pretty interesting because I think it's going to be another doozy. But... I think that's what we're going to get with true crime. All right. You guys stay safe this week. Hit that follow button if you haven't already. And go ahead and leave a five-star review because it really helps your girl out. This is For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. Thank you for listening to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I hope you decide to come back and give us another listen next week.